Before we get into the next episode of the Conjugate Chats, I want to thank the Department of Young Strain Coaches, the DOYSC, for sponsoring today's episode. The DOYSC is to help young coaches into the field of strength conditioning, whether that is CSCS prep, live discussions, internship or GA opportunities, or anything else strength conditioning related. They are here for a resource for young strength coaches going into the field of strength and conditioning. I'll drop the link in the description to the DOYSC's Discord so any young coach can have access to this awesome resource. So thank you for listening to the Conjugate Chats and the DOYSC for sponsoring today's episode. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats with your host here, John Mark Raspberry, Coach Raspberry at that. Uh, today I have Danny Locklear. Uh, you are the Director of Sports Performance at Athlet- Athletic Performance? Yep. Yeah. So how's that? Yeah, so um, I love it, right? It's, it's what I went to school for. It's what I really envisioned doing when I was getting my degree and, and working my way up. Um, I mean, all in all, I oversee our um, entire athletic population. So I oversee the strength and conditioning of our middle school, high school, collegiate athletes um, and our personal training division as well. Uh, so I myself coach. Uh, I have a staff of coaches as well. And, and I just I love it. I love it. Can't complain. That's awesome, man. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you've been, where you went to college, that sort of thing. Yeah, so. Um, I born and raised in, in Maryland, um, Anne Arundel County, and growing up around here, there's a large emphasis on lacrosse. So I particularly got into lacrosse, um, you know, in high school and wanted to pursue that in college. Um, so I went to Frostburg State University um, and kind of as I was invested in lacrosse and training for lacrosse i realized you know i really like this this whole aspect of training I really like this aspect of you know trying to build myself up as an athlete and improve my performance so i and i've always been very you know health conscious and health minded so i kind of decided all right i'll major in exercise science and see where that takes me um and out of that i was working with our strength coaches at frostburg state um and a couple of them were really influential to me. So, you know, coach Kyle Linhart, coach Rob Barrett, um, it's a lot of coaches that were able to influence me and help me understand what strength and conditioning was because up until that point, it was all just working out, right? It was all just get in the weight room, get some reps and sets and pump and, and understanding through my, um, my coursework in exercise science and also as an athlete kind of understanding what strength and conditioning really means that's where I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to pursue to be a strength and conditioning coach. So, um, you know, pursued that degree. And once I found out the route of strength and conditioning coach meant, you know, getting your exercise science degree and, uh, you know, passing the CSCS to become a collegiate strength and conditioning coach, I was like, yeah, I'm all in on that. So I graduated from Frostburg in 2017. Um, and I, signed up for the CSCS like right away and very confidently I was like man I, I you know got a A in advanced strength and conditioning and A in kinesiology I'm a shoe in 
and I failed the CSCS. Um, so I was like, all right, well, what am I going to do from here? So I went back to Annapolis Area Christian School where I actually graduated from in high school and was a assistant lacrosse coach, um, assistant football coach, and being the strength and conditioning coach there kind of as a volunteer basis just to get my feet in the, in the door. Um, and the school I went to in Annapolis area was full of teachers and alumni who knew me, knew my, my background, knew what I was all about. And they were happy to have me be a part of the equation and just the, the athletic program there. Um, and that morphed over the last couple years into me becoming a substitute teacher there and working with their football, lacrosse, basketball, soccer, swimming, baseball, softball teams. Um, and then I also uh, got a job as a sports performance coach at Athletic Performance Incorporated, which is where I'm now, I am now. Um, and I've been there. I did my internship there in 2016, and I've been there since, since 2016. So I was made the director in 2021. Um, but throughout that process, that's, uh, that's kind of been like my – my journey just in coaching as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, I went back and retook the CSCS in 20, 2018 and failed it by two points. <laughs> um, and I was like, man, all right, I really have to you know, buckle down and study. So I submitted myself to like hours of studying a day, did everything they said they could. And it turns out I'm just a really bad test taker. I'll admit that. So I failed it a third time. And that's, a, that's where I'm thinking to myself, all right, I really need to determine, all right, what am I going to do? You know, how, how am I going to, you, how am I going to get myself to where I think I need to be as a strength and conditioning coach if I don't have this thing that most strength and conditioning coaches that I look up to have? And that's where I actually stumbled upon the EXOS Performance Specialist Certification, um, which covered a lot of the same ground as the CSCS um, and really focused in more on the athletic development side of things rather than just the like scientific foundation side of things. So I pursued that and learned a ton of information, um, passed that certification, got that, and then really just kind of started diving into my coach, right? Just investing in myself as a coach and actually what it means to coach as opposed to like, oh, if I chase this certification or if I chase this, this course or whatever, then that will make me good. You know, I just kind of thought, all right, day in and day out, I'm going to complete this checklist of things that I know will make me better. And uh, yeah, long, long, long story short, that's where I'm at now. Gotcha, man. Gotcha. And you and me are kind of the same boat here because I've taken that CSCS three times, failed all three. I, the last time was my closest one, you know, failed by two. And, you know, I'm just like, you know, what am I doing wrong? But I'm about in the same boat like you are. Bad te test taker. Always have been since a kid, you know, gone up and all that kind of stuff. So, man, you know, a lot of people talk about the CSCS and, it does have a leverage over, you know, if you want to go deep in the field or whatever, I think it does have a leverage, you know, whatnot. Yeah. But uh, I argue it's not the end-all, be-all, you know. It's, it yeah. doesn't define who you are. If, it doesn't define your coaching. So Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So 
I mean, when all of a sudden done, you know, I, I, I know coaches just around who they're, you know, coach so-and-so, MS, USAW, CSCSD, and, and they're, they've, they've had this resume of just coaching at Maryland or coaching at all these other D1 programs. And when all of a sudden done, you look at what they're doing and it's like, well, shoot, I can do that. Right. You know, I, I can come up with some hard things to make my kids do in the weight room and make them sweat, make them tired. So when all of a sudden done, like you, you just, you got that CSCS and you're using none of that, none of that knowledge, you're applying zero of it, or you're, you're using it and you're only applying by you know, those systems. And you're saying everything has to be black and white according to, you know, the, the way I, I've learned it in this, in the certification and I'm not going to manipulate it or modify it according to who I'm coaching. Yeah, absolutely. So you're in the private sector, correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. So how is it being in the private sector? Um, it is, from what I imagine and from what I gather in comparison to the collegiate realm or the high school realm, it's far less structured in the sense that uh, we don't have this like school year window, right? It, the private sector is very ebb and flow and it's very seasonally based, right? So for me, um, specifically at API where I work, um, the fall and spring are kind of our lower months. Um, where things are a little bit less hectic, things are a little bit more slow. Whereas this winter and spring are, or the winter and summer, excuse me, are far more busy, right? So it's kind of the opposite of um, like a collegiate coach. Whereas the winter and the summer kids are kind of away and they've got that break time at the private sector. That's where a lot of my college kids are home, right? That's where kids are, are looking for this preseason prep or this this you know got to get in get something done real quick so that's where things are kind of firing on all cylinders um and at the private sector i would say the biggest difference is we have a smaller coach to athlete ratio so there is a lot of opportunity for like really good growth and, and education as opposed to like let's just get this big giant group get you know get them in get them out and then move on so i you know, at least in my experience, I've gotten some really great opportunities to work with a group of, you know, four kids, five kids, um, just in these smaller group class settings um, where I've really made some good connections. And I'm not saying that that's impossible at the collegiate realm or the high school realm as well. I mean, I've done that at the high school realm, but, you know, it, 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 it gets an opportunity for me to really connect and make the longer lasting relationships because I have the opportunity to work with a kid from sixth grade all the way until he's a you know senior in college, if I really want to, because that's what we have available at API. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So which one do you like better? Do you like being in the private sector? Do you like being in the high school? Do you want to go to like the collegiate round? Like what kind of direction and where do you like to go? Hmm. Um, I gotta say right now, like I, I, I love what I do. Um, I love the flexibility. <clears throat> and the, uh, I guess the window for me to be Coach Danny and be the version of myself at API, uh, I'm not saying I can't do that at the collegiate realm or at the high school level, but, you know, it, it has just suited me well at the private sector. Um, but I will also say this, the trade-offs are not a lot of high school coaches that are coaching high school strength and conditioning are working till 8 or 9 p.m., you know, and they're, they're, hours are more like, well, if I'm working at the high school level, then 
I'm going to coach a, a subject at the, at the high school or teach a subject at the high school. And I'll also be the strength and conditioning coach. And I'm done, you know, by four thirty, five o'clock, whenever they're done. Right. Um, on the flip end of the spectrum, our athletes are available during the school year from four o'clock until eight o'clock. So I'm not doing too much during the weekday when kids are in school. I'm not training groups of athletes, you know, at, at 1230 in the afternoon on a Tuesday, but I'm balls to the wall Monday through Friday night, um, which isn't a very sustainable lifestyle. Um, further down the road, I, I wouldn't necessarily mind having a bit more uh, of a set schedule at the high school level. I would love to do that. And I've been looking into doing something like that, but I'm not in any rush to transition one way or the other. Gotcha, man. Gotcha. I always was curious about the private sector when it came to like school year. And then I knew during, you know, during the summers that uh, private sector coaches are really busy because they got a bunch of teams and kids coming in. I was kind of, oh, yeah. I was kind of curious, you know, throughout the school year, how that kind of looked for y'all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, lots of private sector you know, facilities, they have this emphasis on personal training as well. So, you know, I would say this, unless you have a very, very large bank of athletes to work with, and that supports your business structure, you've got to tap into the adult market as well. You know, so I've crafted a way for us at API to tap into our adult demographic or around here. So I've created an active adult strength and conditioning group that uh, we've been working with since uh, March. And there's planting seeds there in the community to try and get people involved um, and also trying to get people in our community to understand that strength and conditioning is not athlete specific. You know, I mean, sports performance kind of gives off this impression that, oh, it, it, it's for athletes. It's not for me. But you, you and I both know that moving and training like an athlete doesn't mean you have to be involved in athletics. Right. You know? Yeah, man. Uh, do you do a lot with general pop? I do. Yeah. I, I would say that personally, I oversee uh, about four to five, maybe six adult clients um, just in personal training. And then, you know, we have that adult strength and conditioning group. So again, my, my focus has been trying to get athletic performance incorporated, you know, to have an adult demographic where we work with these athletes, we work with these kids playing sports, but then we also work with you know, mom and dad or <clears throat> you know, older people trying to stay athletic, stay healthy, just because you, know, you and I understand that life doesn't necessarily stop requiring you to be strong or fast or agile. And one of the messages I've tried to get people to understand is, look, you're, you're not training anymore to kick a soccer ball really hard or to finish the race real fast. You're training to get groceries from car to door. You're training to uh, play with your kid in the park for more than 10 minutes without getting winded. You're training to do three hours of yard work before you get beat up the next day, you know? So that, that's been the philosophy I'm trying to instill in the culture I'm trying to, you know, bring. Yeah, man, that's awesome. So tell us, what are you doing to continuously learn in the field of strength conditioning? Um, I have a couple books that I've purchased kind of at whim and saying like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to dig into these one at a time. And one of them is weight room wisdom, um, by Ron McKeefrey. 
And I don't know if you have you checked it out, but it's actually a collection of like parables and stories from strength coaches all throughout the country and maybe out the world. Um, and they're like little, you know, half page, maybe page long stories um, that just give me some insight into, okay, you know, maybe this is how I can approach this situation uh, with these athletes. Because I think a large portion of coaching that's not necessarily taught in exercise science curriculums is the communication side of things um, and the people skills and management side of things. Because <clears throat> look, when all said and done, we can, we can chop it up all day long about different volume schemes and different loading schemes and, and different training methodologies. And I think all that's really important. And I'm always trying to, you know, surf through and kind of wheels turn in onto like, all right, how can I coach this athlete in a better way than I coached him yesterday to get him to achieve these reps and sets? Um, how can I break through communication wise to get these kids on board, get these people on board to, you know, complete the task that we have on paper today or on the board. That way, when all is said and done, they're accomplishing the work that I've programmed for them and the results are being done by them. And there's this cycle of, I really like being at API. I like working with Coach Danny. I, I get the work done. I'm seeing results. Let me keep coming back. Yeah, man. Um, so listening to, you know, podcasts like this, where I get to hear other people's perspectives and other people's thoughts on, you know, this is, this is a, situation that I've encountered with these athletes or this group of athletes and this is how I've handled it. Check that down, write that down a little bit and try to, you know, steal from that. Um, one of the lessons I was given years ago when I was a younger coach was good coaches steal. Um, and it's not malicious. It's just, you know, okay, let me absorb that and try to apply it to my situation. So things like that. Um, I really love the book uh, Conscious Coaching by Brett Bartholomew. I'm not sure if you've read that, but that's a book that really, really changed my perspective on uh, how to communicate effectively, how to be a tactile communicator. Um, and rather than just submit myself to like one style of coaching and communication, try to have this arsenal of communication methods. Yeah, man. Um, I want to go back to your comment about the Twitter debate. Twitter has become such a great place to find information. I mean, the last couple of episodes, I think with Ethan and Christian, they talked about, you know, they don't have the time to sit down and read a book or, you know, their schedules are pretty hectic. So they go on Twitter, you know, and they learn information that way. And Twitter is such a big, um, what can I say, resource for a bunch of strength yeah. coaches. You know, you're getting good information and, you know, strength coaches, they're passionate people. You know, every strength, so their opinion, they, they are passionate about it. So, like, right. if you are this and one thing, they are passionate about that one thing. So, like, yeah, the thing yesterday, pepper jack cheese. That's much, you know, whatever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, um, I think you hit it on the nail. We're, we're passionate people. It's interesting because I think that kind of starts right when we decide to be strength and conditioning coaches. Because we have to, it's already kind of like a fringe profession, right? Yep. Like we are not personal trainers, but we are, we're, we're not like PE coaches, but, but, but we're making kids work out. Like we're, we're, we are a profession of people who we know exactly what we do and we can recognize somebody else that, that does what we do. 
but I would say majority of the population does not know what a strength and conditioning coach is. Yep. And I think that starts right when we decide to do that and we have to like explain and defend our position and our pursuit to everybody else. Like I'm sure maybe you've had a conversation with somebody and, or, you know, your family or whomever. And they're like, Oh yeah. So like a, like a personal trainer, like you want to go do that. And, and you're like, no, I want to work with athletes and I want to, I want to help them increase max velocity. And I want to, Oh yeah. So like a, like a personal trainer. <laughs> and so it starts like right there, you know, and you see a lot of people on Twitter who are very much just like, this is what I do. And this is what works for me. And I'm just tossing this out there and maybe it works for you too. And that's cool. That's kind of the way to go about it. But then you see a lot of people out there just like, this is what works for me and I will die on this hill. Like strength conditioning is a field that has not really been around that long. You know, it's not like a teacher or like, you know, a plumber. You know, it hasn't been something that's been around for a long time. It's probably been around since probably the 1980s, 1970s when Nebraska had their first strength coach. I mean, right. I mean, it hasn't been around, you know, even over 50 years by this point. Yeah. I mean, at, at least the modernized version of what we have now. And even what we have now is so much more revolutionized than the way things were being done in the 80s or the 90s, you know? Right. You know, the 90s, I, I like to refer back to the 90s. The 90s was talking more of like bodybuilding you know, we had Ronnie Coleman, we had uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, all those legends that were, you know, in their peak of their careers and stuff like that. I mean, and a lot of old school coaches look at that as strength conditioning because that's what they knew. It was what they grew, you know, kind of developed with. You know, we were bodybuilders, yeah. we got them bigger, and we got them stronger. Now right. we're starting to kind of add in the faster component of things. You know, we're taking a look at yeah. like what is conditioning, what is uh, max yeah. velocity speed, what is top speed, what is acceleration. You know, we're taking a look at deceleration now. So I mean, it's really developed. I say the last ten years, it's really kind of ramped up. Yeah, and it, you know, it just takes people asking questions, saying, you know, hey, look, and maybe it's uncomfortable questions, but hey, how does that actually make your athlete perform better? You know, like fantastic. You got your your athlete to increase their deadlift by five pounds, and, and that is good. But did did that make them run faster? You know, and and when you get back to testing, testing is so subjective in the sense that okay, we we tested his forty yard dash, and before this training program, he ran a four seven nine. After this training program, he ran a four six eight. He could have ran a four six eight the very next time he tested before that training program. It's so subjective to, to say that it's because of your training. And I think it's easy as strength coaches to hang our hat on all of our work and all of our um, uh, implications of the athletes. And when all is said and done, man, I think it has to go beyond reps and sets. Um, and I, I like to think of ourselves as we are the true influencers of the, the fitness world. You know, if we can influence a kid to come in and change his work ethic, then that's that's where the magic is really happening. You know, because whatever I write on this paper, on this paper or whatever I write on the board, ultimately it doesn't matter if he doesn't show up and do that work or if he doesn't put intention behind it. And he won't put that intention behind it if he doesn't believe in it. So how, 
really, when all of a sudden, how am I supposed to make him believe in this? Because I could come up with the greatest rep scheme or the greatest methodologies out there. I could come up with all kinds of, I mean, you know, Cal Deeds came up with, with triphasic training. And, and when all of a sudden done, that's great. Cal Deeds still has to sell triphasic training. He has to make kids believe it and say, look, man, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to get you better. He has to make them like, he has to make them like doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that kind of comes with high school kids. Uh, a couple of things about the high school kids. Number one, most kids are going through puberty, or if not, they're at the tail end of their puberty. So did yeah. you really have a magical program, or did they just hit puberty and you got lucky? Right, yeah. Second thing is, is like, high school kids need to know why. They need to know why they're doing things. And yeah. godly, my athletes, my football team, I work with football, I work with track right now. Football guys, they will ask questions all the time. They'll say, why we're doing this? You know, we'll, we'll do a floor bench press. Why we're doing it? Absolute strength, yeah. relative strength, you know, whatever. Kind of spit off that uh, information to them. But they will ask you questions. And you got to be ready. Yeah. You know, if you're not ready yeah. to, you know, answer their questions, you just totally lost their buy-in. Yeah, 100%. Uh, kind of going off this question here, what are the most important physical attributes for a strength conditioning coach to develop in their athletes? Uh, well, the first thing that comes to mind is, is a term that, you know, the previous coach I, I worked for um, came up with it. Well, I don't know if he came up with it, but he used it a lot, bulletproofing, right? Um, I, I like to say that I try to bulletproof my athletes. Um, I don't necessarily believe in the term injury prevention, and I hope I – I hope I step on some toes when I say that, because um, if there was such a thing as injury prevention, then guys that get paid millions of dollars in the NFL and, and the NBA wouldn't tear their ACLs. Um, yep. We can reduce the risk of injury, but we cannot prevent it. You know, um, so I think trying to make your athletes as resilient as possible is the first. And, I mean, your first and foremost job as a strength coach is do no harm, right? If you put building their body up or trying to increase their, their squat max or their jump height above do no harm, then you're missing a very crucial point. And involved in do no harm is technical proficiency. It's kinesthetic awareness. It's, it's mind to muscle connection. It's all those things that help that athlete understand this is how I'm going to move well. And this is how I'm going to move heavy and fast so I can be as dynamically resilient as possible. Because where most of those injuries occur is through sports, through mismanaged loading, or through some type of physical contact. Um, I mean, I was reading a, a good bit of information in a kind of article about like ACL injuries um, in young female athletes. And I think the gist of it was like a lot of it happens prior to the ground, prior to ground contact. And therefore, there's some type of neuromuscular disconnect. So I really believe in, in creating some type of like good kinesthetic awareness when I'm working with young female athletes. So what can I do to improve their kinesthetic awareness? Lots of single leg movements, lots of you know, dynamic effort things to help them be as robust and, and mobile as possible. So look, man, I mean, what, what, what should be a priority in any strength and conditioning program is injury resilience. You know, I'll just I'll toss my, my two cents out there and say that um, 
I want my athletes when they're done working with me to play a full healthy season and not only play that season, but play it well. Right. So if I can make them faster, fantastic. If I can make them stronger, fantastic. I want to make them more durable. I want to make them harder to tackle. I want to make them harder to get, to get hurt. I want them to have a season where they say, yeah, I felt good. I didn't feel like, you know, I was banged up and ill-prepared and that's why I got injured. Yeah. And that kind of comes down to mental toughness too. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's a, that, that's a hot <laughs> topic. We, and, we can, we can uh, do a whole second podcast on <laughs> mental toughness. <laughs> I mean, we kind of talked, I talked about mental toughness on this podcast and a lot, I got a lot of good answers to all that, but I do think, you know, mental toughness is something that is important to have in sports. Yeah. You know, if you are not mentally there to withstand the season, withstand the lifts, two, three-hour practices. And I tell the guys right now, the freshest you're ever going to be is right now because right. six, you know, week six going in, you're you're going to be tired. You're going to be banged up. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I do think that mental toughness has that place in sports. It's got it's got to have a place in sports. Yeah, I agree. Um, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question though. Like, and this is this is something that was poised to me, right? Like, how do you how do you do you make an athlete tough, or do you do you, do you make an athlete tough? Let me leave it at that. Like, how do you make an athlete tough? Um, I talked to Christian Van Buren down D one yeah. Sports in uh, Louisiana, and yeah. he had a really good, interesting perspective about this. And I'll just kind of summarize it. He talked about tapping into their emotion because he'll talk about saying he'll go up to a kid and say, "Hey, man, what's going on with you?" and figure out you know why the kid's not giving max effort or you know doing their best whatever and he tells them you know you know things suck in life and you know whatnot but he tells them that you know there's something else greater for you and there's something else you know better beyond what you're doing here this is only a stepping stone to something better and he's gotten a a lot of good results and he's got a lot of good buy-in from the athletes that he sees down at d1 and i do think mental toughness you know um, wherever you want to call it, it can be developed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I, I think I'm, I think I'm in on the same page with that. Um, I would say it's it's about like mental toughness comes down to choices, right? Yep. It comes down to choices being made constantly back and forth. Um, and you know, the, the question I got asked a while ago was, you know, Coach Janey, well, how do you make your athletes tough? And really, this came from a a father who was ragging on athletes nowadays because they're not tough. And I think some part of that might be true, but I also think like, here's what I will say. They don't have to be right in, in, in a lot of their culture and to no fault of their own in a lot of ways, they don't have to be. So why would they want to be, you know? Yep. Um, I'm not, I'm not trying to create a excuse i'm not trying to do that but what i'm saying is you have to kind of get into their shoes and into their mind a little bit and think all right well but you know why why is this kid tripping himself up why is he why isn't he making these choices why is he doesn't want to right he doesn't want to work hard he doesn't want to he doesn't have to in his life because 
in this generation, I mean, he was born in 2011 and he's, uh, you know, almost 12 years old and, or whatever he is. And, and he, things are so easy for him and everything's available to him all at once. Right. Um, he doesn't have to work very hard. So why would he want to? And to him, sports are just participation. Right. Right. So, so I think part of mental toughness is, or at least coaching it is getting behind their perspective and helping or trying to understand where they're coming from. A lot of these kids don't want to work hard or they say they do because that's what it's cool to say that it's cool to be, you know, a hundred percent, be a dog, grind it out and sure. But everyone can say that until it's time to do it, you know? Right. And that's, that's a very interesting point you made that they either say they want it or they don't you know you know we can sit there and do the conditioning tests and run into death and up downs and whatever the death but unless kids really want to go out and compete and do their best i mean they're, they're not going to and they have grown up in a generation to where i'm not going to say it was softer but they're there's more complications that came from this. there's some kids. I mean, there's some kids that are old school and they will run through your face and that sort of thing. There, there's always those kids. But I mean, sure. there's some kids that, you know, think it's cool to go play football and wear their uniform. You know, you know what else comes with that uniform? Lifting heavy, spreading fast, conditioning, yeah. being ready to play the sport, getting hit. So, I mean, yeah. That's kind of our little spiel about <laughs> mental toughness and how we make yeah. athletes tough. Um, yeah. Talking about athletes, uh, what is your process for monitoring an athlete's progress and making adjustments to their training program? Um, well, I think, you know, okay, when all is said and done, you could look at each athlete and say, what do I need to do to make them better? And you could say, all right, I need to make them fast. I need to make them strong. I need to make them agile. So you could follow some type of cookie cutter program from there and say, all right, I'm going to include a lot of sagittal based movement and, and get them good at producing force through the ground. So squat, deadlift, um, lots of jumps, but I like to involve them in the process. I like to get them involved and say, hey, man, what, what do you like doing? Do you like deadlifting? If you don't like deadlifting, then I'm not going to say you have to deadlift in order to get a higher jump. You don't, right? Um, it's good for you. It'll be a good way to go about this. But I, I'm, not, I'm not a systems guy where I say, like, I swear by, you know, like I'm a USAW coach. I'm not going to say that all my athletes have to do Olympic lifting. Right. Um, I really only use Olympic lifting with my college athletes. Part of that is because I know many of them are going to colleges where they have Olympic lifting in their programs. So if anything, it's more of a preparatory and kind of a cleanup approach um, just to make sure that they're doing it the right way or they're doing it in a safe way. And and some kids come back home and they're like, yeah, no, I, I I'm pretty good at it. I hang clean 215 back at school and they get with me and they're like, ah, this is really tough. Like that's, yeah, because your first good cleans with 95 pounds on the bar. So let's, let's, let's dial this back and let's really approach this from a movement perspective as opposed to a muscle perspective. Um, well, I mean, I monitor my programs based on what the training goals are, 
right? If the training goal for my athlete for athlete A is increase increase lean muscle size um, and, and increase his, or improve his body composition to get him more muscular to lose a little bit of body fat, then we'll measure that by how much more how much muscle he's gained compared to how much fat he's lost. Um, I think testing is a good way to measure, like, if we're getting faster, if we're getting, if we're jumping higher, if we're producing more power. So, you know, with my college athletes, we did a block where on week one, we tested our 40-yard dash, we tested our vertical jump. And I know I'm semi-contradicting myself here because I did say earlier, like, testing can be subjective. But then we apply the necessary or the appropriate strength training and speed training um, over the next four weeks. And then we retested our 40 and retested our vertical jump. And lots of kids got higher on their jumps. Lots of kids got faster in their 40s. So we use those kind of methods to evaluate if what we're doing is making any progress or not. Um, a good way I evaluate like progress is obviously progressive overload. And then if that technique starts to really stick with a higher percent like a higher percentage of weight and then a higher quantity of reps so can they handle more reps at a higher volume or higher load over time then they're becoming technically proficient in this movement so if on day one they can barely do five deadlifts with 95 pounds on the bar and on day 30 they can do three sets of five with 135, then I know something's working really well. Yeah, man. So I want to ask you this question because it kind of just popped in my head. Sure. How do you get athletes to understand that it's about the movement of a lift or an exercise rather than the number on the bar? Oh, man. that, that uh, It's easier said than done with some athletes. Um, I think taking the time to help them understand like the pros do these things well in their sports because they are movement specialists, right? Um, like, okay, you could look at wide receivers in the NFL. You can look at Kevin Durant. You can look at guys in the NBA. You can look at those guys and say, they do what they do well because they are so savagely good at the basics and they're savagely good at fundamentally moving that they can do the flashy things. Um, I would argue that Aaron Donald is one of the more elite defensive linemen out there because he's one of the stronger defensive linemen out there because he probably, and I'm not referring to the goofy, weird um, speed and agility drill he did last year where there's a video of him doing all kinds of crazy stuff that a D lineman would never realistically do in a football game. I'm talking about when he goes in that weight room, he's probably very proficient in his hinge pattern, his squat pattern, which allows him to be a dog on the football field and get out of his positions and go sack the quarterback. Um, you know, so I, I work with, okay, working with youth football players right now, Tuesday and Thursday nights, um, 11 youth, 14 youth football players. And a lot of these big fellas want to throw a lot of weight on the bar. But when I ask them to do a body weight squat, what's the first thing that they're doing? They're going down on their toes. Their heels are coming off the ground. Their, their knees are caving in because they have no control over their movement patterns. So helping them understand, like, look, if we can own these movements very fundamentally well, we can master that, own that pattern, 
then we can add weight to it. And if we can add weight to it, we can become better at it. If we can become better at it, we can perform it better. And then we can play the game better. We can win the game. It's all about winning the game, right? If we can squat really well, we can put more points on the board. The process between that is training. Yeah, man, that's a good, that's a really good answer. You know, I kind of get caught up sometimes because I'm like, you know, how do I get kids to buy in on movement? Because, you know, we're not bodybuilders. We're not power lifters. We're not trying to throw around a dumb you know, amount of weight. And I guess this is particular for football. You know, football-wise, we're trying to chase a number. It's always been yeah. trying to chase a number. Ever since I was right. in high school, it's been about how much can you lift? How much can you bench? How much can you squat? Yeah. How much can you power clean? Yeah. And we're kind of turning that corner right now into well it's not really how much you can bench or squat because we've seen athletes that can deadlift 500 squat 600 but they suck on the football field so i mean yeah yeah so I, i'm again you would take you would take every power lifter that's you know an elite level power lifter and maybe even has the frame to be in a, an offensive and defensive lineman and they probably can't move to save their life out in the field who knows maybe they could i don't know yeah, absolutely. So what is your training philosophy regarding in-season training, off-season training, and pre-season training? Uh, that one's definitely tricky in the private sector because with lots of kids, just geographically, um, lots of kids that come in are multi-sport athletes. So there really doesn't, there, there isn't this true off-season, right? So for example, I'll work with a lot of lacrosse players. Um, and lots of those lacrosse players are second sport athletes like football or soccer because it's something to do when it's not spring lacrosse season. Um, so when I get to train them in like lacrosse is their main sport. So if I get to train them once or twice a week in the fall, they're playing football. So that's the, they're in season for football. And then preseason for lacrosse rolls around in really the winter. Um, and then they're in season for lacrosse and they're playing summer lacrosse all season in the summer so in the private sector there's rare is a rarity at least in my uh, experience that we have a true off-season pre-season or in-season for a single sport athlete that being said um i think any good pre-season or i'm sorry off-season if you have an athlete like let's say a better way to take that might be we have an athlete that comes in in September and they are a lacrosse player and that's all they do, but they're brand new to strength and conditioning and, and, and they're 14 years old. And mom and dad says, Hey, look, you know, we're, we're interested in, in investing in him because little Johnny wants to become a great lacrosse player. And we see the value of strength and conditioning. He wants to make varsity as a freshman. What are the steps? I think this off season from September to uh, January has to be all about like movement and motor pattern acquisition and getting them to understand like, Hey, look, this is how we fundamentally move. Well, if we can take the first couple of weeks to establish that and see how you do this, like, let's see how you sprint because it's not just running hard. It's, it's a technique. It's an art form. Let's see how you do that. Let's see how you change direction. Um, let's see if there are any type of deficiencies or red flags that show up in, in your movement patterns. And, and, and why that is, and let's assess how we can correct that, or maybe influence it to do it better. Then, once we can get out of that technically you know, learning um, phase, we can 
let's start to do some fun work. We can say, hey, man, look, we, we spent two weeks just really slowly understanding the squat pattern, the hinge pattern, the push and pull patterns, and bracing mechanics. Now let's throw some weight on that bar. Let's get into the reps and sets because this is what com- accompanied with you know, proper recovery and nutrition and all the things that make an athlete stronger is going to make you build some lean muscle. It's going to help you get stronger. It's going to help you perform better. Um, I think far too many people and, and athletes specifically want to jump into the progress way too soon and they don't understand like, hey, man, you're not good enough. You're not strong enough to do hypertrophy work yet. So doing all this reps and sets, like it's not going to benefit you because you don't have the strength to do it. Yet. You're, you're, you, you don't have, like you're just going out there and you're working real hard and you're not improving your technique one bit. So you're just running this really crappy sprint at max effort and you're not getting any technically, any more technically sound. And if you just fixed a couple of little things here and there, that if we had the time in the beginning to work on, you'd be way further ahead than you are now, you know? Right. And uh, I refer back to the no barbell system that, I put out a while back, man, and and uh, you know, freshmen had and some sophomores had a hard time realizing or kind of kind of putting their minds like, well, we're we're not gonna get a barbell, then we're not gonna get stronger. It's like, right. no, you you can look at a dumbbell and get stronger. You can get high school kids, you know, they can look at a dumbbell and get a stimulus from it. Like it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But I mean, I told kids. Especially freshmen, if you can't goblet squat a hundred pounds for about five, six reps, you know, relatively yeah. decent strength, you're not going on the barbell. So, right. Said so, no, that, that's not happening, and that's a hard no. thing for heart, you know, especially high school freshmen to understand. You know, they see the big kids, you know, the seniors and the juniors throw around all this weight, whatnot. They're like, I want to do that. It's like, whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 you know, let's slow down here, buddy. You ain't ready, yeah. you ain't ready for that yet, so. Yeah, or, or, or the opposite end of the spectrum is, you know, and, and we get away with it too many times where we have these big groups of kids and you've got these elite level schools or these elite level weight rooms in the high schools, which are, it's fantastic that people are investing in that, but you've got, you know, 30, 40 kids and on the board just says, deadlift, uh, revert or reverse lunge or whatever it is. And you got, let's say eight kids that have never deadlifted before in their life. And they're learning how to deadlift from a high school junior who already deadlifts terribly. Yep. So, so there, I mean, I, I saw a video one time, uh, I won't, I won't name the school. I won't, won't do that. But, uh, I saw a video one time of a high school weight room around here and this poor kid did 290 pounds 29 times on a deadlift. I see your face right now. It's the exact same face that I made. And the whole time his back is just in agony. I can, I can see it. And, you know, this kind of brings us back to that whole concept of like mental toughness. Like, okay, you did something hard. Great. But did it make you any better? Or did you just do something hard for the sake of saying you did it hard? You know, like. It goes back. Giant line that I think there's a, a line we have to be careful not to cross. There, it just goes back to rule one of strength conditioning, and this is something they need to implement in exercise science and athletic training kinesiology programs. This is the number one rule of strength conditioning 
do no harm. If you are damaging a kid, especially at the high school realm, and I like I like talking about high school kids because one, you know, I'm kind of working that kind of field, but at the same time, like high school kids need proper progressions, they need proper programs in order to be successful when they go on to be junior seniors, and even if they want to be a collegiate athlete, you know, if they want if they want to be. They should yeah. not have hip problems and ankle issues and knee issues and shoulder issues and back issues at 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I think that's absolutely ridiculous to have a 15-year-old have back issues, have to wear a back brace, have surgery, have an ACL torn just because mm-hmm. of we want to get kids tougher. It's like at yeah. some point, where, where does that give? Where does that give for you? You know, are you really willing to break down a kid's body, a 15-year-old kid's body, to win a game? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell you what, you know, when I was at now the City Christian School, um, I was a strength coach there for two years, working with the football team for two years. Um, and, you know, I actually forget sometimes, like, we, we won the C-Conference championship those two years that I was there working with those athletes. But one of the things that I'll, I'll – say was a really big challenge but also helpful for me is when I was a younger coach I subscribed myself right off the bat to okay back squat deadlift bench press these are the things that I know because I just learned them in college and I learned that this is what collegiate athletes do and a lot of exercise science programs at the collegiate realm they teach you about programming they teach you about uh, you know exercise selection from the lens of working with college athletes. They prepare you to go work with college athletes. I would say most exercise science programs do not prepare you to go work with a middle school athlete, right? And working with middle school athletes, you better you better know how to help them understand like how to squat fundamentally or how to like adequately sprint um, or how to march for that matter. I mean, one of the things that I struggled with as a young coach was I tried to do way too much, way too quick yep. because I tried to show what I knew, right? I thought, you know, look at me, I'm this young coach who's got exercise science degree and I'm, I'm doing the dang thing and I'm, I'm loving it. And if I can just get these kids to do these reps and sets and get them stronger through that, then they'll love coach Danny. Um, and I was feeding too much into coach. We're going to back squat today. Hell yeah. We're going to back squat today. What I should have said was no, we're <laughs> We're going to learn how to bend over appropriately and hinge without rounding our backs. Yep. Uh, we're going to learn how to do a push-up today without allowing our hips to, to sink in. Uh, we're going to learn how to march today. We're going to learn how to sit down into the chair when we squat. Um, because I see a lot of you kids throwing 225 on the bar and your knees are collapsing and your heels are coming off the ground in those really foamy, crappy shoes you're wearing. So... <laughs> <laughs> oh God, the shoes. It was good for me to go through that and, and learn because now I can look back at, I mean, I still have programs in my, in my notebook and in my binder looking like, what, what the hell was I thinking? Why would I have them do that? You know, but that's good for me. It's good for coaches to go through that. I think, um, and I was lucky that none of the athletes I worked with got injured. I was lucky that none of the kids got injured in the weight room. I was lucky, but I was also naive. And I, I wish that I had more time and experience um, or, or someone looking over my shoulder saying, Hey, I, you know, you should, you should think about that. And it wasn't until I got to API and I had 
coaches um, like my previous director, Sean Doyle, and uh, my, my coworker, Nick Knappen, really digging in and, and challenging me and saying, hey, you know, this is, you might want to think about this. You might want to, like, is this the best way? Is this, are you really making them better? Can they do that well? What's the hardest thing they can do well? That's where you need to start. Yeah, man. Kind of peeling back a little bit. How do you, first of all, let, let me even go a step before this question. Do you integrate technology into your program? Uh, like how, how do you mean? Like jump mats, dasher systems, team builder, that sort of thing. Um, we, we've played around with team builder in the past. Um, it, it's something that I wouldn't mind getting into. Um, but right now I write all the programs and I print them out, distribute them to the kids. So one, that way they're kind of not on their phones intrasession, session um, and they have something to physically write down and keep a track of as opposed to just like, you know, hey, hey, Jimmy, did you do those reps? Yeah, I, I did it. And, and I don't see any like actual measurement of it. Um, we have a, a timing system that gives me a really accurate measurement of their 40 yard dash or their 10 yard splits or, or their 5-10-5. So I, I use that. We don't have any jump mats. Um, like we're pretty old school. I've got that big vertex with, with the flags and yep. kids smack the hell out of it with their hands and they say, ow. Um, but I'm always, you know, trying to look at what kind of you know, gadgets or things out there that are really going to be the, you know, the bang for the buck for my demographic and my population. Um, like right now, I, I wouldn't say that a, a, a jump mat is necessarily something that we need just for the people that we have. Um, here's something else too. For my demographic, we have athletes that are really there for like at a maximum three months and then they're gone. And then they're, they're coming back in. They're very cyclical, right? Just because of the nature of, uh, you know, two or three sport athletes here. You know, I'd like my college kids, they're home for the summer. I won't see them again until the winter. We'll get an influx of athletes in the fall. And then a lot of the athletes that were here for the summer, we'll, we won't see them again until the winter. So the methodologies of training and the things that we want to put into place, I really have to keep in mind, like, this data is only going to be present. It's only going to be important for two and a half, three months before their next season, before their club soccer coach says you have practice five days a week, you know? Right. So that's, that's been a conversation with the, the owner and founder. Uh, he and I have said, you know, is it really worth it? Um, I, I think it is, but just for our style of, of business and our, our flow, not necessarily right now. Yeah, man. So what would you like to have integrated in your system technology-wise? Um, like, I do think a jump mat or, like, a force plates would be very helpful for me to understand, like, you know, this, this is how – oh, let me, let me take that back and, and really focus on this. Um, some type of, like, central nervous system monitoring technology that can help me understand – how athletes are, are feeling, whether they're fatigued, whether they're coming in pretty high and, and dry or, or, or ready to go. Um, something like that, that would help me give it, you know, maybe an intra-session adjustment to the reps and sets or the, the loading scheme, because it's easy as coaches to say, like, here's the plan for today. Here's the program. And you might have had a group of athletes come in. They're like, look, coach, we did not sleep well last night. We we are fatigued, we're under-recovered, and they might not know it, but from that data, I can 
get a, a lens and say, hey, look, you know, let, let's cleave off that last set or let's let's adjust this volume here so that I can continue down goal number one of the strength coaches do no harm, you know, and, and, and get the right kind of juice and the right kind of squeeze out of that session. Yeah, absolutely. I like uh, asking questions about technology because it's something that's we're kind of adapting with with strength and conditioning. Yeah. You know, we're progressively getting new technology in. And it's you know coming from the higher ups, you know the, the Power Five, NFL, you know the major leagues, whatever. It's starting to trickle down into private sectors and for um, high school realms that we're starting to yeah. you know get more technology in our rooms. So. Um, what advice would you give a young student, an intern, even a GA or an athlete that wants to go or are currently in strength conditioning slash sport performance? I would say there, there are two, two aspects of it. And, and the first piece of advice tends to be more in the professional side. Um, like build your coaching profile, who find out who is, Coach John Mark, who, who is Coach Danny? Who is that guy? And that requires a, a, a ton of self-reflection. You know, is is Coach John Mark patient? Is, is Coach Danny uh, is he kind? Is he willing to accept things that don't go his way? Intercession. Um, is he a hard ass? Is is he just selfish? Is he impatient? Those kind of things you. Will, will ultimately determine more of your success in your program than you picking front squat versus back squat or you, you picking uh, single arm dumbbell press versus overhead press. You know, those kinds of things will keep the athletes around and want, you, want to continue training with you. Um, like for me, some of the best things that I did earlier in my career was like sitting, reflecting, okay, like, who am I and how can I apply those good things and bad things to coach Danny? Um, on the unprofessional side of things, more on the life management, I would say like, yes, earn your stripes, climb the ladder, do what you can to get your foot through the door. But at some point, make sure you understand and draw the line. Like, okay, I am a professional. I'm no longer like a, a young scrambling will do anything just to just to throw their hat out there, anything for free, and I'll I'll do everything volunteer based kind of coach. Um, know your worth. Like understand that if you want to have a family, that is more than fine. And no job and no no position, no experience has the right to say no. Family's not important right now. And and for me, like. My wife and I, we, we got married almost a year ago and we've had plenty of conversations where, you know, it, it's come back and come back to the amount of time that she and I are spending together as a husband and wife. So really understanding the balance or maybe the management of time in your life. You don't have to be like, you can be a full-time coach, but that doesn't mean you're only thing is coach right you know go be a husband go be a wife go be a boyfriend or girlfriend go be a son of uh, a daughter go be a, a niece or a nephew go be a friend too because there will always be athletes there will always be people who want to get stronger but it's way harder to develop more relationships than it is to find new athletes 
Absolutely. Being a family person is way more important than your linear periodization that you've got going on in the weight room. Yeah. Um, you know, I see a lot of coaches, and it happens a lot in football, that they get wrapped up in their sport and strength coaches are the same way. We get wrapped up in the weight room, you know, mm-hmm. and they kind of forget that, um, you know, they're more than just a strength coach. They're more than just, you know, a sport coach, a football coach. You know, most of us are husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, whatever, outside of the weight room. So that's important. I think that's a really good advice for people that want to go into this field. Like, just don't be only a strength coach. You know, mm-hmm. after, you know, you're long gone and stuff like that, no one's going to remember, oh, well, he made us do four sets of six of Bulgarian split squats, you know, whatever. You know, they're going to remember yeah. you as a person. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's important, man. And you kind of talked about stress a little bit. So how do you manage stress levels and burnout? Man, uh, burnout is... It... I would say that for me, like I, I really try to be conscious of the moments where I don't have to be Coach Dan. Like yesterday, uh, with my wife, I didn't have to be Coach Danny. I work, I work Monday through Saturday. I don't work all day Saturday, but I work Saturday mornings. Um, so Sunday, and I've made it pretty clear, like I, I will not coach on Sundays. Sunday is the day for me and my wife to go to church. Um, that's a non-negotiable, and. We just, we rest, whatever my wife and I want to do. If that's me going to play around a golf, if that's her hanging out with her friends, if it's us going on a date, we'll do that on Sunday. Um, and I, I look forward to that. And this isn't because I dread or I, I don't like being coach Danny, but I need to take that off because by Friday that gets heavy, you know, and I've, I've worn that Monday morning to Saturday morning. And in the private sector, in, in my job, you know, I don't, I don't get to go home at five o'clock every day, like everybody else, not, not everybody else, but like most people, you know, um, I don't get to have dinner with my wife every day. I don't get to wake up and go. I don't, I don't, I don't wake up at the same time every day because some days I have to be at work earlier and coach an early session versus a later one. Um, I don't get to eat lunch at the same time every day. So those moments where I'm not impacted by my work schedule, by my coaching schedule, I really have become conscious of and appreciative of. I'm like, oh man, this is great. I'm, I am drinking a cup of coffee, not between sessions. I'm not trying to like down this sandwich before sessions. Um, I'm not wearing a API shirt. Uh, I'm wearing the shirt that my wife got me because she said I look good in it. And I get to wear it, you know, three days out of the year because the other 362, I'm wearing an API shirt. Right. Um, so things like that. That's how I kind of manage my stress. Um, I love moving, right? So I'm, you know, I think most strength coaches do, but I golf, I, I shoot around, play lacrosse still. Um, I have to move every single day, even if it's for some small measurement like kettlebell get-ups or some type of swings. Um, so if I can just dig into that and say, hey, you know, this is my time to play around, be playful and, and move and have fun. That takes my mind off of kind of the, the bogged down things. And maybe it actually gives me an insight to, oh, I like doing that movement. Maybe if I can modify this, this is what I can put into that program to make that athlete better. Things like that. Right, man. Absolutely. Um, 
you talked about reading books, you know, kind of, that's, you know, you, you learn stuff from books. So what are your top five books that every coach should be reading? Uh, I'm a throw conscious coaching up there. Number one, I, I still stand by it. I think we can dive into all these different books about this training methodology or, or this aspect of training. Um, but I think Brett Bartholomew does a fantastic job of breaking down like communication strategies and different archetypes of athletes. And this is how to handle them. Um, I read raving fans actually for my master's program and for any coach that wants to build their own business and wants to, um, you know, go on their own or, or impact the business that they're already working for really just to, to understand how to work with people. Um, raving fans is a good, a good strategy book. It's, uh, from the perspective of like a, a salesman and in a lot of ways, that's what strength and conditioning is, is, is kind of selling, just getting kids on board, getting people on board with, Hey man, this is how we're going to get you stronger. This is how we're going to get you to lose weight. This is how we're going to get you to build muscle. Um, I really like um, my side of the mountain. This is a, a, an interesting book that has nothing to do with strength and conditioning It has everything to do with getting involved with nature and getting involved with like, your surroundings. Um, this might seem childish, but I, I think particularly young men should read this book because I think we tend to get away from nature a lot. And I think part of being lots of lessons can be derived from nature, particularly strength, um, endurance, how to survive. So that's a book I, I would say. Um, I might cut your list short here instead of five and, and go four. I think, uh, oh, uh, Passion Paradox by Brad Stuhlberg, Steve Magnus. That's a good one to kind of understand how to manage burnout um, and how to like funnel passion and uh, like how to channel your energy and your interest into actual good work as opposed to just like, I'm really interested in this. I'm really passionate about it, but I have nowhere to go about it. And so I'm going to steam ahead, steam ahead, steam ahead, and then eventually burn out and stop doing it. Okay, man. Yeah, that's awesome. I like book stuff now more that I've gotten older. Uh, you know, going through college and high school, never read a book. You know, I just yeah. kind of got by on whatever. But right now, I'm kind of on this book kick. So I was, I was kind of curious if, you know, what kind of book re recommendations you had. Um, what are your top five coaches that influenced you in strength conditioning? Man. Um, I would say coaches, coaches that I've, I've met or just coaches I look up to? Uh, coaches that you look up to. Okay. Gotcha. Um, uh, Coach Rob Barrett, he was my strength and conditioning coach for a couple of years at Frostburg. Um, co Mike Boyle. Um, I wouldn't say that, like, you know, obviously I've never met Mike Boyle, but I would love to, love to pick his brain on some things. And I think, you know, just to be involved in the game for as long as he has and still be sharp, um, still be very, very good at what he does and not subscribe to that whole, like, you know, this is how we did it in 1999. So we're going to keep doing it this way forever. Yeah. You just have to tip your hat to that. Um, Coach Feld. Um, 
I know you know Coach Feld because he's got that crazy mustache. Um, and what I love about him is his culture, right? His, his personality, but his the way he affects, the way he brings and breeds a culture um, wherever he goes, just outside of the, the goofiness, outside of the, the character that he has, his athletes like working for him. His athletes like working hard for him. And that's derived from the culture he's got. I can, I can see that. Um, Brett Bartholomew as well. And Sean Doyle. Um, Sean Doyle was the director at API before me. Um, he's currently the head golf coach and kind of fitness performance director at John Carroll High School in Baltimore County, Maryland. And he really, you know, invested in me and, and poured into me and helped me become the version of myself that I am now. So, you know, I, I have to owe a lot of myself to him um, and my development as a coach. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I really want to meet Mike Boyle as well. I went through his CFSC program. Did you? Yes, I learned a lot. And, sure. you know, that's something. That's something that I don't think a lot of people get to talk about. It's because, you know, whether you like Mike Boyle or you don't, you got to respect him. And just like you said, he's he's kind of adapted with the times, man. He's not living in the 90s. He's, exactly. You know, he's adapted. He's changed his program as time has gone on. He's adapted with the ways. And his program, his certification course, is exactly like that. And it's something that I wish the CSCS did. It was because it had a practical component along with a scientific, pro, you know, a yeah scientific component. So you had to pass yeah. a quiz. That, you know, did you have the head knowledge? Then you had to flip over and say, okay, you have the head knowledge. Can you co- it. can you coach it? Can you apply it? Yeah. Can you tell us what's yeah. you know what's A B C D thing? So, right. I really appreciate about that about that course there. Um, who is a coach that you think everyone should be following, whether that is Twitter, Instagram, social media, just in general? Uh, on, huh. On Twitter, you know, I'll, I'll say, um, Brandon, Brandon Pig has some good stuff that, gets your wheels turning and, and on the performance side of things, I, I really like his approach on how to like optimize speed training, how to get your athletes faster. Uh, CC Murray. Um, she's also another coach who, I mean, she's working with some high level athletes who I, I I'm always gathering bits and pieces. And some of it's, I, I kind of already implement, but just, it's a, I look at it through a different lens um, on how to get them faster. Um, coach Eugene Teo, um, hopefully I'm saying that right. He is, um, uh, an Australian coach. Uh, and there's actually another guy whose name is on Instagram, Australian strength coach. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sebastian Oreb, uh, he's, I think many of those guys who kind of get, you know, they, they take us out of our Americanized thought processes um, out of the, the CSCS, the USAW and that kind of stuff. And they're working in the same kind of principles, but it's not this, um, it's not this like NSCA bound thought process, or it's not this, like, this is the way we've done it in America process. Um, so I've learned a lot on 
strength development, speed and agility. Uh, I've learned a lot on like bodybuilding through, through them as well. And in some places like that has its place in sports performance, right? If you really want to help an athlete understand how to like create a mind to muscle connection, maybe you have to do a little bit of bodybuilding. Maybe you have to do a little bit of like real true blue strength training. So I, I've, I would say those kind of coaches are people, you know, young coaches or any coach should follow just to pick and choose. Cause every, not every post is going to be a home run. Not every post is going to be gold, but every four or five posts might be like, Oh, I didn't think about that. Let me, let me, let me watch that again. Let me save that. Let me bookmark that and come back to it. Yeah, man. Brandon picks huge on this podcast right now. And he's coming in tomorrow to talk. Oh, wow. So okay. I'm, yeah, he, he's going, I feel like he's going to have a, a lot of talk about with tendon health and that sort of thing. So he's, yeah. he's been pretty popular about, I think, I think four or five people have already mentioned his name, you know, of people he's that another, he's another high school strength coach, right? Yeah. He was with Cody Hughes for a while. And then yeah. now he got his job over at uh, Huntsville, I believe. Mm-hmm. Huntsville, Alabama. But yeah, man, met him at NHSSCA's NatCon. That dude is brilliant. He's a fantastic guy, man. So. Well, um, well, Danny, thank you for coming on the conjugate chats, man, and you know taking the time and talking about you know several different topics that we you know from the cheese debates on Twitter to you know uh, integrating technology, man. It's great to have you on here. Thanks for having me, man. And and let me just you know I know I told you earlier, but let me just thank you for what you're doing for our community. You know, for our profession. I said, look, it, it's. It's a, a fringe profession and, uh, you know, we, we support each other, but we, we can also tear each other down. And what you're doing with these conjugate chats, what you're doing by trying to promote other coaches and just get the wheels turning for a lot of people is exactly what this community needs and get people involved with other coaches and connected to other coaches and it's not always going to be confirmation biased, you know, like, oh, that coach does what I do. So I'm going to subscribe to his, his page and just like his stuff. Or that coach doesn't do what I do and he's against what I do. So I'm going to keep away from him. You're just putting it all out there and you're getting everybody to tell their story. And I really appreciate that. You know, we, we need people like you to show the world, hey, this is what strength and conditioning coaches do. But this is also what they think. And, and they're real people and they're not all, you know. Tiny shirted meatheads. <laughs> right. And I mean, when I wanted to kind of go this route of doing the podcast and everything, man, like it, it wasn't even supposed to be a podcast. It was supposed to be a blog that I put out, you know, once a week, you know, maybe once right. a month sort of thing. But, you know, I had DMs, I had text messages saying, you know, why don't you kind of push for that? And so I'm like, okay, you know, let's just see if it goes well and i remember i put out one post i said who would like to be on the conjugate jazz i mean when you have big names like monty and you know all those other guys yeah. and even missy missy Macbeth agreed to be on here i mean like yeah, that's right. i mean the greats of our you know our profession are one on on this and you know the word conjugate i had to look up what the word conjugate meant before you know really doing this and it means to come together to bring in styles of training yeah. and to have that ideology come back just to coaches 
Like, I didn't want to share just the highlights of, you know, the big time coaches. No, I want, and I still consider myself a small coach. You know, I'm not, I'm year one in this, maybe about one, one and a half. I'm not a big coach by any stretch of matter. But I mean, the best coaches I've had on here are the ones that are from small schools, small, you know, D3 colleges, small, you know, little farm town schools. And I mean, it's been awesome, man. It's been awesome to share people's stories and have them like you just come in, bring in just everything, man. Just put it out there. You know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. There's nothing that's been new in strength and conditioning. We're all just reinventing the wheel at this point. Maybe a little bit differently, yeah. a little bit very, you know, variations, but there's really nothing new. I mean, yeah. So um, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it, and I'm riding the wave as much as I can. Keep doing it, man. We're we're loving it. We're we're loving it. Yeah, man. So I I appreciate you, Dan. I appreciate you won't even want to come on here. So it's it's awesome, man. It was my pleasure, man. I've been looking forward to this, you know, for for a long time, and uh, you know, it, it it is awesome to be a part of a community on online, but you know, to to get to talk to you in person and and understand, you know, that. There are people out there who may be going through the same struggles as me, maybe going through the same dilemmas that you know maybe I can help or maybe they can help me as well. You know, hopefully, I don't know. Look, if you ever get Mike Boyle on here and Mike Boyle says some of the same stuff and he's like, Oh yeah, I did I dealt with that in oh four, I dealt with that in 05, then I'll be relieved. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to have Mike Boyle on on here. I know he's a busy guy and uh, you know, when he followed me on Twitter, I was absolutely dumbfounded i'm still i'm still waiting for that i see a lot of people see him see him comment and respond back it, i think the day that that happens for me is i think the the day i need like a twitter check like a verification something like that. i mean yeah it was it was cool reached out to him he's a he's a really good guy man like yeah you know course. people give him flack for his opinions and whatnot but at the end of it he's a really he's a really good guy so yeah of course well, that's another episode of the Conjugate Chats with your host here, John Mark Raspberry, Coach Raspberry at that. Danny, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you being on here, man. Thanks, man. Have a good one.